Jesus' name. Amen. Turning your Old Testaments to Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 5. Isaiah 40, 1 through 5. We're beginning a seven-week series through Isaiah 40 called Run and Not Grow Weary. How's that sound? Run and Not Grow Weary. Uh, these are, this chapter is just filled with, with verses that you've heard in Handel's Messiah and verses that you, you see all over the place um, in, in different seasons of the year. But I want to begin by reading the words of God through the prophet Isaiah from verse 1 through 5 of Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. And every mountain and hill made low. And the uneven ground will become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What do you do when you cannot forgive yourself? Or you cannot imagine that God would forgive you. You know, uh, if you have felt that way or if that is where you are right now, please rest assured you are not the first person that has felt that. When I read the Old Testament so many times, we find that, that God's people are, are either seeking other gods far from the Lord and totally unable to see their rebellion, unwilling to see their treason against God, or they are, are so convicted and so brought low in their sins that it is very difficult for them to see that God would actually forgive them and wipe the slate clean and, and bring the, the renewal and refreshment just right there and then from His hand. You know, I read the Old Testament and I just want to say, you crazy Israelites! You know, there's just these wild swings all through the Old Testament, kind of like you and me, right? I read this, and man, these, these folks, they just, they just all over the highway. God loves them so much. He's their covenant God. He shows them powerful miracles of red seas and water out of rocks and, you know, incredible things. He delivers them from their enemies. He gives them a land and all they need. And what do they do? They look for another God. <laughs> they do after all that we're like well if we had seen all that don't bet on it no they do what what we do they take matters into their own hands to get what they want out of life maybe if God's not coming through just the way they want him to come through if we want crops, if that's really what we want out of life, if we want the cash that comes from the crops, and Baal is the rain god, maybe we should try Baal. We'll keep going to church, keep going to the temple, we'll try a little Baal as well. 
just like we're tempted to do in our hearts. And, of course, God would bring them just in time, times of dryness, spiritually, trying to create hunger in their heart for Him. Times of chastening or loving punishment would, would come upon them. And in those times of, of loving discipline, that a father disciplines his children just like a father, they would finally see their sin. And sometimes it's just breathtaking how they finally see the depth of their treason against Yahweh, against their covenant God, covenant-keeping God. And then the problem, very often, is not for them to see their sin, but to see God's forgiveness. You ever have a hard time accepting forgiveness from God because you think you maybe don't deserve it? I know you have. You ever have a hard time forgiving yourself as well as accepting God's forgiveness of you? This is one of the few places in Scripture where, where these two, the, the chastening and the unwillingness, unability to see our sin and the difficulty in receiving grace, where those two are just brought right up next to one another. Usually this is a, a, a cycle of how they kind of drift from the Lord and their hearts get harder and harder and harder. Then the chastening comes. Then the awareness comes. Then they have to believe in grace again. But right here in Isaiah 39 and 40, right there together, it's unbelievable just the juxtaposition of these two things. Very rare in Scripture. Turn to Isaiah just a little bit back from Isaiah 40, verses 6 and 7. God says to Hezekiah as he is... Um, prophesying what's going to happen because of the rebellion of the hearts of his people and their unwillingness to see it. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your father stored up to this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. That's not good news. You're not going to see it. You're not going to repent. And it's all going to come crashing down around you. It's all going to be carried away. And then he says, And some of your own sons who will come from you, your descendants, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be made eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And then you turn the page. You, you go from Isaiah 39 to Isaiah 40, and suddenly the book of Isaiah enters this new phase. And it will never back down from, from this new phase. In fact, it will just be more and more understanding of what God is bringing, starting with Isaiah 40, verse 1. We are suddenly, as, as Derek Kidner puts it, waking up on the far side of the disaster. So we go from, this is what's going to happen to you. You read in other places in the Bible all the things that actually happen in that cycle. And then suddenly, from Isaiah 39, the end, to uh, Isaiah 41, it's, you, you wake up on the far side of the disaster, as Kidner says, with grace in the air. In all the space of a few verses, you've moved over a hundred years. And 70 of those years are absolutely silent from God while they sit and ponder what God has already said 
what God has done in His loving correction as they begin to unravel and unpack the depths of their hearts, where it went wrong, and what needs to happen. This text teaches us a lot about God's grace. I'll tell you what it shows us, though, from just that horrible, can't see it, don't want to, going to be chastened in 39 to verse 40, chapter 40, verse 1. It shows us that grace, if it's nothing else, is always a new beginning with God. And it's really a new beginning here. And it teaches us that grace, the God's grace, is, is always far more than we thought it could be. And even for us. It teaches us three things about God's grace. Grace is double comfort. Secondly, it is double forgiveness. And thirdly, it's a double wide road. Double comfort, double forgiveness, and a double wide road. You see, what happens here is, is they are now in that place where they, their hearts are, are aware of their treason against God. They, they are having a, a very difficult time believing that God would want them back. And so God just doubles everything. God speaks an incredible hyperbole to try to convince them of His love. Grace is double comfort. Anytime you see something in uh, the ancient Hebrew when it's doubled, that means it's amplified. If it's tripled, it's just ultimate. Holy, 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 you see. That's ultimacy. Double means pay attention. This is far beyond what it seems to mean. This is so much more. This is important. Double underline, italicize, bold this. Seventy years of silence broken with these words. Tell them, Isaiah, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Forty years of stewing in conviction. Double comfort. Comfort, comfort. One scholar says the Hebrew sense of the word comfort is to turn away from suffering. It is not there, there. God's not saying there, there, my people. Bless your little hearts, my people. He's saying it's time to remove your suffering. It's time to alleviate. It's time to bring comfort out of the, the anxiousness and, and, and the excruciating thing you've been going through. It is not there, there. He goes on to say it is active involvement in, active engagement in the process of taking away Suffering. No, no, not comfort my people. Comfort, comfort my people. Let them know that I see their anguish. See their anguish. Let them know that it's going to be all right now. Going to be all right now. Let them know that I love them. I love them. And it is not just comfort, comfort. It is comfort, my people, says the Lord your God. You see the possessives there? My people, I am your God. This is covenant language. This is Isaiah, remind them who I am. I am the covenant-making, the covenant-keeping God. I am the God who will never leave you or forsake you. you believe that? As you go through your own anxieties and, and struggles and 
and difficulties. He is, we are His people. He is our God. You have to believe me, God is saying. I am here still. I've always wanted you. And I want you now. And I will speak of double grace just so that you will believe me. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord your God. Those are incredible words after the words I read to you from Isaiah 39 and all that happened. Yes, they were defeated by the Babylonians. Yes, Jerusalem was burned to the ground. Yes, the temple was reduced to rubble. And all the articles of the temple just as it was prophesied, taken to Babylon, and the sons of the leadership of Israel taken to Babylon in service of that king. Grace, however, is double comfort. God wants to alleviate that anxiety about our sins when we see our sin. Secondly, grace is not just double comfort, it's double forgiveness. You hear these words like double forgiveness, isn't forgiveness enough? Yeah, this is hyperbole. This isn't like you need double forgiveness from God. This is God wants you to see the forgiveness so much he's going to call it double. So you won't doubt it. It's so much more than enough. It's double more than enough to cover our sins. Verse 2, speak tenderly to Jerusalem, kind of personified of, of Israel. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is over and that her iniquity is pardoned, her sins are pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. I love how God commands the prophet to speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Double comfort. Speak to, it means in Hebrew to speak lovingly to the heart God says, look, I'm your covenant God. You are my people. I'm your God. Get it. Get your brain around that. Isaiah, make sure you speak to their hearts lovingly. Speak tenderly to my people. Speak tenderly and say to them that their sabbath is over. That is, their hard service is over. I realize the ESV says warfare, meaning struggle in the sense of warfare, but the NIV gets it right here. This is the same word used in the book of Job about his struggles as he learns from God, you see. This isn't about military action. This is about struggling. This is, this is about wrestling. Tell them that their, their days of wrestling and struggling are over. That, let me tell you, that is an incredible word from God. Here they are, car- carried away from their home, temple burned to the ground, you know, read Psalm 137, by the waters of Babylon we wept, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. Our captors demanded from us, sing the songs of Zion, of your God. How can we sing the songs of Zion in a foreign place? In the sadness, God says, it's over. All that hard service, all that time needed for you to get it. It's over. I now know that you get it about your rebellion. Your iniquity is pardoned, God says. You have received double from the hand of my hand for all your sins. 
Yes, Psalm 103 is so beautifully comforting with the words, He does not treat us as our sins deserve, nor repay us according to our iniquity. No, we get double grace, double pardon in our sins. Isn't that great? Isn't it great that it's not just like karma? It's not just like one-to-one? Isn't it great that our covenant God sees what we need? He allows us to have the chastening, the exact amount that we need to get it. And then it's over. And we are pardoned. Double pardoned. And God's using hyperbole here to convince them that His grace is real and available. God is saying, hey sinner, you have to believe me. I love you and my grace is real. You know... If you've been through something, if you wrestle with, you know, just, can God really forgive me of this? Or my sin has such a repetitive nature, I I wonder sometimes if I'm playing games with God, therefore maybe I'm disqualified somehow because as we think in all these logical terms about sin, that maybe God won't forgive me. And what God's saying is, look, sinner, I do and I will. More than enough. There's double pardon from my hand for people who get it. One of the first Christian music artists that I really tapped into as a new believer in college, y'all probably never heard of this guy, but he he was important to me, (laughs) was Mylon Lefebvre. I loved Mylon Lefevre for this reason. Mylon Lefevre, I believe, came to Christ because he's always, I went to a concert of his, always giving his testimony and his songs and in his, he came to Christ about a year before me and he was singing in real time what just happened to me. And he could not get over the depth of God's forgiveness and pardon for the depth of his sin. And so he's just singing about the availability and the reality and the the doubleness to cover all and more and more and more that Jesus' grace is. And he's singing it in real time, describing my own experience of grace as I'm experiencing it. One of his songs says this, Don't run when love comes down. I love these words. Don't run when love comes down. You shouldn't hide when you've been found. You've got to face love when love comes down. That's exactly what God's saying to His people in Isaiah 40. Love has come down. Don't run from love when love comes down. You've been found. Don't hide from me. You've got to face my love. I love you. I want to forgive you. There's double comfort, double forgiveness. I mean, is this not amazing? I mean, just right there where you're sitting with your sin, believer, unbeliever, your sin. We are sinners, right? Double comfort, double forgiveness. Don't run when love comes down. You've got to face love when love comes down. Now, when God was in the process of bringing me to Himself... One of the things he did and one of the things he does and one of the things he does in the lives of believers who wander from him is he began to give me a a sense beyond my control, I might add, through my conscience, 
through truth that believers were speaking to me? He began to give me a sense of my sin and his holiness. And a growing sense of discomfort with him as me. And I remember a time in my life where I couldn't believe I was even thinking in these terms. What is going on in me that I secretly thought that I had sinned too much for the Lord to ever want me? But I heard the gospel and I realized this is precisely the point. This is who God's grace is for. The number one qualification of coming to Jesus is to be a sinner. This is the point that only sinners can be saved. And believers, only people who get their sin, only people that quit garnishing varnishing over their sin. You've got to face love when love comes down. I saw that, that that love came down and that love died on a cross for me. And that lo- it, is, it was finished. And it wasn't just enough to cover my sin. It was double. Actually, it was infinitely more. And I believed as a sinner and was instantly forgiven. Now, it took me a while to figure out all what happened. Do you understand? It wasn't like suddenly I just kind of knew that I was called and then regenerated and then converted and, you know, and God gave me faith and I, you know... All this knowledge. I just knew that I had no hope with God and and God did it all for me in Christ. And I believed. And I was forgiven of my iniquity and, and given out of God's gracious hand double the grace even for, his, for my hideous Himalayan sin. And for believers in their sin... The struggle is more like this. God doesn't want you anymore. We were, read, we were singing earlier. I don't have my glasses on. I'm going to try to read this. Come frozen with shame. Come burning with guilt. My Jesus loves you still. Loves you still. There are people here today that are frozen with shame. Burning with guilt. And Isaiah says to you, come. Comfort, comfort, forgiveness, forgiveness, double forgiveness. Now, God probably doesn't want me anymore. God didn't want to be around me anymore. Don't you believe that? Who are you to redefine God? He is the covenant God. He is the God of chesed, steadfast love. Who are you? To say that he can't love you anymore when he has already declared that he will always love you. If you're a believer, he he has already declared that it is finished. Isn't that great? Double comfort from the covenant God. Double forgiveness from his hand. Today... 
thirdly, it's not just double comfort and everything's just double about God's grace in this passage. It's a double wide road. And I don't have time to do justice to this, so I'm going to read it and and try to apply this to the Lord's table. Verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low, and the uneven ground will become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed in all flesh, shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. See, forgiveness, we find, is not just a transaction. It's not just a category shift. Before the face of a holy God, it's a return. It's a return home. It's a destination as well as a transaction. And God not only wants us to bring His sin for those sins to be cleansed and wiped out on the basis of the cross for the first time if you've never put your trust or cleansing out of that once and for all sacrifice if you have put your trust in Jesus. It's all about the cross one way or another. You don't get saved again, but that is applied to you freshly and that forgiveness is is fresh. But but God doesn't just want to for you to know that you are sin, forgiven, yay. He wants to draw you to Himself. He wants to throw His arms around you and He wants to lead you, you see. This is about a relationship with Israel. This is about a relationship with you and, and with me. And God wants us to draw him to our, Himself, us to Himself and and move us forward in our lives with Him. And God is saying to His people in Babylon, who now get it, finally, after 70 years of stewing on it, 70 years of moments of recollection and realization of their treason, and what went wrong, and they get it, now they need to believe in His grace, and God says, I'm not only double comforting you, I'm not only double forgiving you, it's time for a new exodus. It's time for me to lead you home. Out of here, home. You see, it's a road, not only from our sin back to God in Isaiah, it's a road from the wilderness and desert misery of Babylon back to the festive throngs in worship in the presence of God in Jerusalem. This is big. Now I quoted Psalm 137. How can we sing the songs of Zion in a foreign place? O Jerusalem, if I forget you, may my right hand lose its skill. O Jerusalem, if I forget you, may my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth, meaning to not be able to praise anymore. No, it is not just a category shift. It's not just relief. It's the road home with God to worship. And it's not just a road. It's a double-wide road. It's a road that only really 
modern translators would call a highway. <laughs> How about this? A super highway. When you build a highway, you know what you do to mountains? You level them. Because you don't want anything to get in the way of getting from where you are to where you're going. When you build a highway, you know what you do with valleys? You fill them in. You know what you do with uneven places? You make them even. And rough places, you make them smooth. So that that highway can be built. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. And the uneven ground shall become level in the rough places of plain. And there's a lot to say more about that. But I won't. In God's grace, we learn as this highway is built, home brings great glory to himself. And not only glory to himself, but the fact that, that one day all will see that there was one highway to God. And the glory of the Lord, verse 5, shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. And the mouth of the Lord is spoken because a big part of the glory of the Lord is the grace of the Lord to redeem a people for himself. Even angels long to look into these things, you see. Hey, Israelites, God saying, you have to believe me. I know you can't forgive yourselves. I know you can't imagine that I would want you back. You have to believe me. I am forgiving. I am comforting. All double. I've built a highway home. Won't you believe me? God's saying that to you today. Won't you believe me? That I want to comfort you. You, right there. Won't you believe me? that I forgive. Won't you believe me that I want you with me? The next time we hear these words, there's been another long period of silence between the Testaments. And angels come and announce to a virgin, to a priest named Zechariah. We're going to actually do these songs of these people at Advent. It's going to be exciting. But the first time a prophet says something in the New Testament, do you know what he says? His name is John the Baptist, and it's in Matthew 3, 3, Mark 1, 3, Luke 4, 3, 4, and John 1, 23. That means it's important when it's in all four Gospels. Okay, not everything. I'm looking at it. Not everything's in all four Gospels. No, his name is John the Baptist, and he also is in the wilderness, in the desert, and he is screaming that the road to God is being made ready. That the road to God is about to show up. He's screaming that we need to prepare for the super highway of grace that is Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist teaches us that our preparation, our on-ramp, to that highway is repentance. That's his message. Turn. Turn from your sin to God. Turn from your idolatry to God. Turn from your pride to God. Hey, you Pharisees, brood of vipers, 
Turn from your pride to God. I'm going to tell you something. Double comfort. Double forgiveness. Double wide road. A super highway of grace that is finished now through Jesus. And what God is saying, you've never known him. What he's saying to you is, you've got to believe this. And you've got to turn. You've got to turn from what you're trusting in. You've got to turn to me. He's saying to you and me, as we are believers who, who get stuck in our sin, who, who swirl in our sin and are burned consciences in our sin and all these things and the agony therewith, he's saying, you've got to believe me. And you need to turn. I'm going to tell you something. God cannot, will not resist a humble heart who believes in his grace and turns to him. In fact, it is such a highway that there are no mountains in the way, no ravines to traverse, nothing can stop you from coming home, nothing can stop you from coming back home if you turn the highway it is finished it is ready for people who need to believe the first time and people who need to believe in his grace and repent again that table is a symbol of a highway let's pray lord you are good. Would you so work in our hearts this morning that we would not just remain in our rebellion, whatever it is. That we would not wall off areas of our lives from you on purpose anymore. Would you, even as we taste and see that you are good, bring double comfort Applied double forgiveness and intimacy with you through that superhighway that is the grace of Jesus. We pray in his holy name.